We are back with the Cold Stove Podcast, live from Austin, Texas. My name is Brett Merriman on the screen, live from the rumor cave in front of me. NRD NHL Rumors Daily, how are you doing today? Good week, exciting playoff hockey, round two is underway. Excited to get back into the uh, back into the saddle once a week, two a week again when we hit the offseason, free agency time, but right now it's always the highlight of my week to be on the screen remote with you, Brett. Likewise, NRD. Likewise, exciting stuff uh, since we last spoke uh, last week on Friday. Plenty of teams eliminated since that that cold stove recording. But uh, I want to lead off a little bit of a heavier note here with what's happened the last week or so in Buffalo. Um, Obviously, if you you know, you've, I'm sure everybody has heard there was a mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo and a senseless fucking tragedy. Um, don't want to get more into it than other than just prayers and thoughts and all the comfort in the world to the victims, their families, those who responded, um, laid their lives down in order to protect others and save lives. Just a absolute shit situation and i cannot believe or you know what i can believe these things continue to happen because of the way our country is and the way media is etc but that's a conversation for another day just want to say i'm thinking with uh, with all my heart uh about the people in buffalo and um it's a community near and dear to my heart and it sucks to see it uh hit close to home and it does so shouts to all the efforts that uh people have been helping out with if you want to help out, there are just basically Google help, you know, help Buffalo right now. Plenty of foundations, uh, as it was one of the only supermarkets serving that part of town. You know, food banks need extra help this week, and there's plenty of ways to donate. So just uh, if you wouldn't mind going out of your way, uh, if you have the means, please, 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 please help uh, the community of Buffalo out. It was nice to see the Pagulas get involved with the Sabres and the Bills. Uh, handing out meals and donations uh, the last couple days there. Cool. It was pretty much the whole Bills roster and then whatever Sabres were in town. I saw Kyle Oposo, um very much involved on that front, just a stand-up dude, and my vote for captain of the 2022-2023 Buffalo Sabres. So, shouts to Buffalo. Um, we are thinking of you. I am thinking of you. Cold Stove Pod supports Buffalo through and through. And I just wanted to start off with that. NRD, any thoughts uh, on your end before we get going into the hockey part of this? No, I mean, on what you just said, my uh, my thoughts and condolences. Um, I think uh, it's hard to look at the positives in situations like that. But what you mentioned, what, you know, the community's been doing and people stepping up, whether it's, you know, notable people like the Sabres and Bills or just, you know, everyday people in the community of Buffalo, for, for some person less than human to commit that act it's good to see some human decency um after the fact and everybody stepping up so like you said my thoughts my condolences my prayers and my support are with the community in buffalo amen amen all right let's talk hockey so let's start off with what happened since we last spoke the bruins penguins capitals stars and kings all headed home uh who was the most intriguing team in that group as far as are you afraid that this was their last chance, NRD? So, Pittsburgh, if we're going to talk to a team that has their last chance, I, I think this is done. And you know what? I just I'll, thought of something. I'll, I'll say Washington. but I was going to say Washington. 
I just said, I, th- I said, wait a minute, I'm talking about Pittsburgh. And then I just thought of Ovechkin at like 47 years old, just popped into my head. So mm-hmm. maybe Washington too. But yeah, two teams in the Metropolitan Division, especially when you look at, you know, the Rangers and the Hurricanes and, and what New Jersey might be able to do in the next couple of seasons. Now they have the second overall pick coming up. Philly hopes to turn things around. I don't know if I'd really consider them, but the Islanders believe in a quick turnaround as well, moving on mm-hmm. to Lane Lambert beyond the bench. So I think the uh, the decade-old Philly, uh, Philly, the decade-old Pittsburgh-Washington running the show in the Metropolitan Division, I really believe is starting to fade. And I think we saw the last of it. You know, maybe not as much for Washington. I'll let you take that point. But for Pittsburgh especially, I think we're seeing the last of them. Stanley Cup playoffs for a little while. Have we seen the last of the trio of Latang, Malkin, and Crosby, in your opinion? In my opinion, yes. They just simply don't have the money to pay everybody um, without some serious, serious hometown discounts. And it, it works for some guys. It doesn't work for guys who are still talented and can grab the bag in the offseason. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Malkin and Chris Latang are two players that are second line or better in Malkin's case, or maybe top four, if not top two in Chris Letang for some pairing around the league. So, you know, it's, these are not guys that are at the twilight of their careers, taking a hometown discount just to give one last run. Like they can go out and get eight or 9 million on the free agency market in a couple of months. And I think that they will. Did you see the offer that was reportedly thrown out there? Basically that everybody scoffed at, I think it was three years, uh, 5 million AAV per year. Um, was there a validity to that, you think, or is that sort of just something that might have gotten out of hand media-wise? So I believe that came from Rob Rossi with The Athletic, who does uh, really solid work with the Penguins, a, um, somebody I've had conversations with in the past. Um, I believe it to be true if it came from him. Obviously, they should scoff at that offer. I think what's really sad about the situation there in Pittsburgh for Pittsburgh fans is I don't think they have much money, much more money to give um, Malkin and Latang, if they want to fit all three going forward. So maybe you can scrounge up a couple of bonus bucks here or there, some incentives and whatnot, but that's pretty much it. So if that's not going to fly for the Malkin camp or the Latang camp, it's, it's going to take some severe, severe and incredible gymnastics from GM Ron Hextall to grip all three, you know, Crosby's there, but the other two in the fold, you know, for long-term. Because don't forget, it's not, not only is it them, but Kasperi Kapanen's an RFA. Uh, Brian Rust is a UFA. Ricard Raquel, UFA. Evan Rodriguez is going to get a raise. Danton Heinen, you know, he's an RFA. He's not uh, like in the same stratosphere as them. But like, that's a team that's going to take some. Uh, uh, there's there's con- construction happening on that team. Um, and like, yeah, I just don't. You're right. You can't fit. You can't fit everybody under the uh, under the under the whole thing there. So. I'd be interested to see who you think would be who's like who's the odd man out of Malkin, Latang, Crosby. Uh, you know, not Crosby, obviously, but like who is the odd man out in Pittsburgh? And would you agree with me that it's Chris Latang? I'd agree with you that it's Latang. So I was going to give like a double-barreled answer, but I agree that it's Latang because I think Latang is the most palatable option in Montreal with you know his former agent Ken Hughes now the general manager there. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think other teams would like Chris uh, would like Evgeny Malkin to be the guy that's the odd man out um, in terms of what he could still provide. You know, there's been talks or not talks, but there's been you know people analyzing over the past couple of seasons Malkin's penchant to disappear at times um, and not play that 200 foot dominant game that he has in the past, and that 
has been catching up to him maybe with age, but you look, he's still, you look at, and you see spurts in that Rangers Penguin series where Malkin is still an elite center in this league and can, and can drive possession in the offensive zone and can get back and play a little defense because he is big bodied and whatnot. He could bring a lot of value. I mean, like you look at a team and it's not going to happen because they don't have any money either, but you just look at a team like the New York Rangers who have struggled to find that number two center mm-hmm. for the last couple of seasons and had a guy in Ryan Strom who's worked really well with Artemi Panarin. But if they were to upgrade on a Ryan Strom, like a guy like Evgeny Malkin would be perfect for that roster, the way it's constructed and whatnot. Now they can't afford him, but there's many other situations around the league that can afford a guy like Malkin. So while I agree to your point, Crystal Tank ends up ultimately being the odd man out. I think other teams will try to throw the bag at Evgeny Malkin. You know, I wonder, I, I think of, how could they afford them all? There's new ownership in Pittsburgh, obviously, with the Fenway Sports Group. What's your opinion on sort of outside compensation out of the standard uh, salary dollars-wise? Like, you know, the Yager, you did a piece of the franchise, perhaps? Do you, you know, naive here, are, are there rules against something like that, whether it's an endorsement that the, you know, John Henry can put together with Fenway Sports? Could they be offered, you know, equity in the Pittsburgh Penguins that vests over a period of years? Like, where do you fall on non-traditional compensation for guys like a Malkin or a Latang? So the last time we saw this in the National Hockey League, and I don't know how much it was discussed publicly, and maybe I'll be the first one to discuss it. I doubt it, though. I'm sure it's been talked about other places. Um, was John Tavares in okay. his free agency sweepstakes. Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment pushed very hard with what they had on the salary cap. But in addition, they had set up a marketing plan for John Tavares with what they can do with their sponsors, with Scotiabank, with you know, Sports Check, which is a sports outlet store mm-hmm. up in Canada, similar to Dick Sporting Goods in the States. Like They had a portfolio set up of what they can do with Tavares to maximize um, his marketability and his endorsements. And it was, I mean, it is completely legal in that sense. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm completely privy to the rules on ownership stakes mm-hmm. um, in the NHL. And I don't know how that would work out. And it's very rare to the point where I don't know about it because it's never happened before. It'd be unprecedented. But in terms of endorsements, yeah, it happened with Tavares going back, you know, four or five seasons ago or six seasons ago now at this point. And I could see it happening again. I mean, you like you said, you have the John Henry money. You have the uh, the Fenway Sports Group. You have LeBron involved in the ownership group there in Pittsburgh now, too. So if there is a way to get it done, I could see it happening, you know, whether it's legal, whether it's underneath the table, but it's still going to be hard, right? You still have to have that. Yeah. You still have to player. You still have to have Evgeny Malkin say no to what could potentially be out there on the open market, eight and a half plus, and then he'll still get endorsements anyways, Evgeny Malkin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it would take a lot of uh, a lot of creativity from ownership and, and Ron Hextall to get it done, to your point. Yeah, and you know what? If there's anybody that would do that as we sort of move away from the traditional like family-owned sports franchise model into these super groups who have you know, just uh, whole organizations behind what they do and could offer something in that vein or you know, hey, when you, when you're when you retire, the day you retire, you get this or something like just some sort of funny money that does not appear on a contract, but is legally allowed to be part of sort of this pitch to a free agent. Uh, so I wonder where that goes sort of in the future of, of hockey and, and sports in general. You know, that, that is obviously Le- LeBron has his hand in nine different pots and 
as they should. Athletes, you know, they sort of earn the right to do that based on their play and their fame and, and the money and the wealth that they build, right? But like Patrick Mahomes getting $500 million to be the face of Kansas City for the next probably decades, right? Like, I just, I wonder where that, what part of that equation do we get to see or has been going on for years? Like, you know, John Elway and the Broncos and, and stuff like that. Like Yager having, or, or is, is it Yager or uh, Lemieux having ownership Lemieux, with the Penguins? Yeah, yeah so I, I wonder where that ends up as we kind of get into this more transparent financial world by the year even. You know, it's just tough in the sport of hockey. And this is a whole nother conversation that we can continue to have, you know, because we could spend hours on it. We really can. It's the sport of hockey as a whole, the tight salary cap, the revenue that the league brings in, the fact that the cap is still sub 100 million as compared mm-hmm. to the NBA, MLB, and NFL, um, who has, they don't even have a hard cap. They have a soft cap with the luxury tax in the, uh, the MLB and the NBA. I think that's part of the equation too. Like you can get away with those things like cut of the pie and ownership and whatnot in the NFL when you have, you know, $300 million on the cap and you can give Mahomes 500 million, you can give him 15% of the Kansas City Royals and whatnot and you can kind of get away with flexing mm-hmm. that muscle with the revenue that you bring in. And that's part of to your point, a lot of supergroups own in the NFL, a lot of supergroups own in the NBA and the MLB. They're just starting to get into the NHL with, you know, the Fenway Sports Group owning there. And, P- and the Pagula family up in uh, in Buffalo with the Bills as well. So the more we see of that in the National Hockey League, the hope is the salary cap eventually goes with uh, eventually grows with the financial infusion and whatnot. And maybe we'll get there one day in hockey. I just don't think that time is now because of the constraints. Yeah, yeah. I think we get. I, I think we get to a hundred rather quickly after we catch back up. Once the players have paid that debt and the new TV contracts kicking in, I believe we get to a hundred. And then kind of get slower from there. Um, there's there's like people have whispered like 20, 2025, 2026 season, 2026, 2027, right before the new CBA is expected to be you know negotiated and ratified right. is when we can eclipse 100 with the salary cap. There you go. NRD, you mentioned something earlier, or we mentioned something earlier with MLSE. They own the Toronto Maple Leafs who have come out and said that Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe are back next season did you necessarily see that coming with such a vote of confidence from Shanahan so early or are you uh, a little surprised by that so I was surprised by it at first but then I heard from you know heard through hockey Twitter and listened to what some Leafs fans were saying because they know it best right they're involved in it 24-7 Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, who also runs the Toronto Raptors, was very patient with their front office through a ton of playoff losses as well mm-hmm. before they t- finally turned thing. Um, Masai Araji, I believe his name is. Yep, Araji. Yep. correctly. Araji, who runs the show for the Toronto Raptors. Guru, very similar to Kyle Dubas, just on the basketball end. Young, executive, um, very analytically driven, built a fresh roster. They had a ton of playoff losses too before they finally hit pay dirt and won the NBA championship a couple of years ago. And you can see similar parallels over on the Toronto Maple Leaf side. The core is in place. They have the right people in the front office, they believe. And they're super patient with management and, you know, the upper management and Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. So I guess I get it now after learning that and learning a little bit more about how they've run the organization for some, you know, 
for a decade now, the better part of a decade. Um, that being said, something's right. Like there's only so many times you can keep doing this, right? They mm-hmm. lost five game sevens in five consecutive years or something like that. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy in the first round. In the first round. So like I agree, patience is great and I'm a big fan of having that vote of confidence to say, hey, you're going to get time to make this right, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's because it's always tough to, you know, have a guy behind the bench for two years, you know, <clears throat> Kelly McCribbin and the Vegas Golden Knights, you give, every, you know, give everybody in the organization like fucking 30 seconds to figure things out and then you fire them. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of giving that vote of confidence and saying, hey, you're going to get time to make this your own and do it right because we trusted you when we hired you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, we're talking about five game sevens in five consecutive years or whatnot. You just can't keep doing this, right? Because it it ruins the morale in that locker room because you go into a game seven now in the future without confidence, right? Totally. Like you need that killer mentality. You need that step on their throat mentality that Tampa has in the postseason and they've shown for the last two years. I don't think Tampa... Take the Tampa Bay roster as constructed. If they don't have back-to-back Stanley Cups... They lose in game six to the Toronto Maple Leafs at home. My honest opinion. I think that Tampa Bay winning that series is solely built upon the confidence, and I said this last week, the confidence of being there, winning two championships, understanding what it takes to win in crunch time in the postseason, and having the confidence to know that when your back's against the wall, you guys got each other, and you'll come out of this ahead. And the Leafs, who have lost those series in the past, don't have that confidence. So I'm not going to sit here and say, go trade for a, you know, Steven Stamkos or a guy that's been there, right? Because that's hard to do. But eventually you're going to have to start winning these series. We can't just say every year we'll be back. We have a good roster construction and whatnot, because that mentality will never show up until you win. Toronto is 0-10 in series clinching games since 2018. 0-10. Yeah, and the, and Tampa has won every single one of them in the past two years, right? So yeah, it's it's and absolutely that, I crazy. And and part of your point is the message gets stale. Like, how many times can you run back? Like, what do you say? What do you what do you say at this point? Like, oh, you know, statistically this is an anomaly, so we're gonna play the law of averages for motivation. Like, what? How does Sheldon Keith go in that locker room? And he will. He's gotten the vote of confidence. He's back. But what do you what do you switch up? You know, you have the core in place. Is that roster going to go through huge reconstruction? Maybe a little on the like the, on the back end with Sandine and Liljegren and the goaltending, that, right? Yeah, they'll have a new goal. I believe they'll have a new starting goaltender next season. So, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was Semyon Varlamov. There you go. I've I've heard Varlamov to Buffalo as well. Ooh, interesting. I've heard your dog as well uh, in the I in the know. broadcast. The, the dog is in the rumor cave right now, so <laughs> that's fun. That throws you off your game. I imagine uh, I imagine your dog like in the Grinch in the cave, just kind of has the uh, like full reign of the rumor cave. She does kind of look like Max from the uh, from the Grinch <laughs> who stole Christmas. So it's funny. Maybe I'll stick an antler on her. Have her run around. Let's go to our friends. Uh, in Boston, and RD, reason for panic based on whether they might not see Patrice Bergeron again or Brad Marchand. Like, where where are you at if you're one Don Sweeney and two a fan of the Boston Bruins this week? 
Well, you're in a good spot if you're Don Sweeney because Cam Neely said today that they're going to extend or look to extend Don Sweeney. Really? Oh, I, I did not here. see that. Okay. So Don Sweeney's safe in his position as general manager of the Boston Bruins. As we said last week, I believe Patrice Bergeron's in a spot where it'll be like year-to-year contracts in Boston. Um, just however long he wants mm-hmm. to play, he'll run out his time, but he will be a member of the Boston Bruins. I don't think he'll be anywhere else at this point. He said he won't, and I do believe him that he won't. But, you know... What's really weird right now, and interestingly enough, as we're recording this, there's a game going on in the uh, in the IHF World Championships right now. Ooh, couldn't care less. Well, you might if you're a Boston Bruins fan, because the Czech Republic, Czechia, whatever you want to call them, is playing against Lafayette right now, and there are the fighting Zemgis Gurdensons. Well, there's two players. On the, uh, the Czech Republic team, they're tearing it up right now. I believe they combined for like three points in this game so far. Uh, is one of the them du- is one of them named David Krejci by any chance? Yeah, <laughs> and it's David Pasternak is the other one. Oh my god! So they have combined on a couple of goals now in this game, as you know, the goal scorer and primary assist, and that's got to hurt if you're Boston. Of course it does. You think that like he was part of their plans? So to that point. <laughs> I think that the focus this offseason is absolutely to grab a center that can play with David Pasternak at the comfortability level of David Krejci. Would be nice. I saw Dylan Cousins pick up a goal today, by the way. He's been playing very well with a center named Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's an RFA over in Winnipeg. Shouts to the guys that expected Buffalo. Had the theory that if the Sabres wanted to go a little, not all in here, but if they wanted a guy... Why not trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois? Because Winnipeg's most likely not going to give him up under RFA control. Well, would you say differently if, say, you were offered 16, Casey Middlestat, Ryan Johnson, and goaltending prospect Eric Portillo? If you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, you'd really consider, but that depends on the direction of the organization at this point. They have a coaching search that we'll talk about in a couple of seconds here. Um, depending on the direction they go in, if they decide to really rebuild this thing, then yeah, that's that's an extremely good offer. That's extremely palatable. I think that might even be too much for Buffalo's end. For Pierre Luke I Dubois. thought that was a lot too, but and then their their second trade offer was how about this one? Sixteen overall, Dylan Cousins and Ryan Johnson. Oh, that kind of defeats the purpose of your point that they're tearing it up right now. I said, man, I was like, I don't think, I think Cousins has too much potential, even though like Dubois is only 23 going on 24. Mm -hmm. I'd be more comfortable, and this is going to piss Buffalo people off. I'd be more comfortable trading a Jack Quinn. Who don't hate it. People want like think is gonna he's gonna light up. I still think he's too he's too small and needs to get stronger. I love the potential there, and he obviously lit it up in the A, but. I, I like I like the way that Cousins has been developing. So we'll see uh, Dubois. I, I think a lot of teams would like his services. I don't think he wants to play in small towns anymore. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I could see that. Um, the only thing, though, with Winnipeg, though, is if you make that move to rebuild, we had seen it and we had heard, you know, from Elliot and 32 Thoughts from what came out of their breakup meetings with Shevel Dayoff. Mm-hmm. Hellebuck does not want to be there for a rebuild. We well, know Mark Shifley doesn't necessarily want to be there at all anyway. Um, so the issue there is if you decide to rebuild, there's much more. There's many more moves to be made besides just a Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. For You're sure. going to have to move out Hellebuck potentially. You're going to have to move out 
you know, Shifley. So if that's the direction they go, it involves a lot more than that deal. So it's a good offer on the table. I just don't think it's appealing right now to shovel day off as he really has to figure out what the direction this organization is. On that note, do you think that direction is public? Like, are the cards laid on the table on if Barry Trotz gets the job, then no. And if we can't get Trotz, then we blow it up. Do you think there's only two scenarios there or or are, is there a third potentially? There's coaching talent available besides Barry Trotz. There's Claude Julien who still wants to coach. And there's I, I other should guys say, out win, there. There's win now coaching talent. Yeah, I think okay. I think it's win now. If they can grab one of these win now coaching, you know, candidates, then yeah, I think they continue down their path and they see where how far it takes them. Because they were not, I mean, they were a 500 hockey club for the most part, right? Like they weren't great, but they weren't bad either. I mean, they had a rough patch there. Paul Maurice wasn't fired. He stepped down because he kind of lost his feeling for coaching. So they were a 500, maybe sub 500, but just barely hockey team throughout the rest of the season after that. So, you know, you can compete again and they have some guys in place to compete again. They have Kyle Connor, they have Blake Wheeler, they have other pieces there. Um, but in terms of trots, right? So I'll just, you know, we discussed this before we started the show. From my, From what I had heard from some sources out in Winnipeg, if Trotz wants the job there in Winnipeg, he will have that coaching job. Um, there's no there's no situation where it's like, hey, interview Barry, and we might go in a different direction. If Barry mm-hmm. Trotz wants to coach the Winnipeg Jets, we'll find out shortly enough if that's the case. He'll be coaching the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think it's a matter of him needing to interview and prove that he can handle that position. It's been offered to him. Um, if they don't go after that, then yeah, I think you have to consider blowing it up because you have guys there that are getting up there in age and Mark Shifley. Connor Hallibook that could be valuable assets on the trade market for some teams. On that same note, so it, it, it's Trotz's job if he wants it. Does that setup exist with him and Philly, him in Detroit, him in Nashville? Like, does that offer exist other places as well? For Trotz, yeah, I would say so. I think that Barry Trotz is going to have his pick of his job no matter where he wants to be. I have a hard time believing, unless you're a team that's completely rebuilding, which we don't really have too many of those options on the market right now mm-hmm. um, of complete teardowns. Well, they, they all have rebuild coaches, right? Where it's Yeah, like they're a, there already. Yeah, right. So in terms of what's available on the market, from what I know, I'd have a really hard time hearing or believing somebody that says Barry Trotz doesn't have the pick of the litter of whatever job he wants to hold, whether that's coaching in Winnipeg, coaching in Vegas, coaching in Philly, or potentially in the front office in Nashville under David Poyle. Uh, so that, you know, with those options there, I think whatever he picks is going to be what Barry Trotz wants to do. And if he wants to go back to the cottage for a little while, like Paul Maurice and mull things over, he can very well do that as well. And I think that's on the table. But it's a matter of what he wants to do. It's not a matter of him having to go out there and a team going in a different direction and declining him, you know, his services for that job. Interesting to see what happens with the rest of the offseason coaching-wise. A guy that we're not exactly sure about coached the Dallas Stars uh, against the Calgary Flames to a loss in Game 7, a moral victory for the Stars to take that series seven games. Rick Bonus is a legend, a, I'd say, a future Hall of Famer, perhaps. Perhaps. Is he done, NRD? I think we asked this weekly, but uh, let me rephrase. Is there much of an update from the Bones camp? Not yet. I had tweeted out after they uh, they lost in Game 7 
and you know many people commented that night on my tweet so what i had alluded to for weeks on this show because like you said it's a discussion weekly at this point um that sources have led people to believe that bones was going to hang it up regardless of how the season ended um maybe a little different if they missed the playoffs and he really had that drive to give it one more go and jim no and the organization had the confidence in him to do so but I think once they made the playoffs, it was a matter of whether he rides out into the sunset with the Stanley Cup or they exit in the first round. You know, I think it's time for Rick Bonus to step aside. There's talented, co- there are talented coaches on that staff and around the league out there that can handle that handle that job, and I think can compete with that Dallas Stars roster as constructed. Um, they have a guy who in net and Jake Ottinger, who's a freaking all star. I mean, the way he played in Game Seven, the way he played throughout that entire series. You have to feel fantastic if you're Dallas that you have a perennial all-star and best of the candidate in that going forward um, with this roster. So I still believe Rick Bonus hangs him up. I don't think you're going to hear it anytime soon. They're going to give him the respect, like you said, potential Hall of Famer down the line. So ton of respect and admiration and allowance for him to make the decision on his own terms and do it in the way that he wants to. Um, but I still think he hangs him up and that. Dallas is in the market for a new coach, maybe even be an internal hire, just like the New York Islanders did. We shall see there. Um, before I let you go on coaching, anybody else that we want to talk about, whether it's Detroit, Philly, Vegas, um, you know, like Winnipeg, any other names that have popped up on your radar or scenarios that have popped up on your radar over the last couple of days here? So there's a coach that's, behind the bench in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now in St. Louis in Jim Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Philadelphia organization is enamored with the prospect of Jim Montgomery interviewing for that job and potentially coaching the Philadelphia Flyers, in addition to Barry Trotz. You just can't interview Jim Montgomery right now because he's in the playoffs with the St. Louis Blues, and he's you know keeping his focuses behind the bench with Barube and Co. and the Blues team. Uh. If they are to lose this series against Colorado and Philly hasn't, nailed trots or hasn't you know hasn't had a guy behind the bench yet um hired then i'd expect jim montgomery to get you know a strong look in philadelphia and that he's a guy that they have identified way back when they had fired um elaine vignon and made mike yo interim head coach that montgomery potentially was on the short list um in the offseason when they make that decision to uh interview coaches i like that fit too that that, that just feels right for philly you know what Monty's a really good coach and anybody around the league will tell you that he paid his dues. He struggled with, you know, what he struggled with in his own personal issues and, you know, not keeping the job in Dallas. He's behind the bench now in St. Louis. He's done his time. He's back in the league and he's a great coach because he works really well with players and he coaches in a very soundly structured defensive system. That's his style of hockey that he likes to coach in. And I think that's what Philadelphia is in a dire need of around Carter Hart, right? Because we know Carter Hart's a fantastic goaltender. Um, they just need to support him better on the back end and on the blue line. And if they could bring in a coach, unlike an Elaine Vigneault, who was kind of all over the place, and unlike a Mike Yo, who really didn't have, and this is no slight against Mike Yo, but not a fantastic coach and didn't necessarily have the respect of that locker room, considering he was on Elaine Vigneault's staff and considering the locker room issues yes. that they had under Vigneault, it's hard to gain that respect right away into that new role. So a guy like Montgomery, who coaches in that defensive style of sound structured hockey, to come in behind the bench in Philly and potentially revitalize that blue line and guys that they have there in Sanheim and Provorov and Ryan Ellis potentially if he comes back. I really love the fit there, and I know that Philadelphia is interested in it, and that's a guy I'd keep an eye on um, 
in the next couple of weeks. Knows how to work with young guys. Obviously was with Denver for what, five years or so. Kind of the mid-2000-teens. Uh, and then before that, where I knew him from, RPI guy back yeah. in the day. Uh, he knows he knows a thing or two about the track in Saratoga during the summers. Uh, big fan of his. Glad he is back. Yeah. Uh, getting through what he has needed to get through and um, and coaching again. So keep an eye on that. You mentioned that series, though, the Avs and Blues. Uh, one of the, the next couple series that, that I'm really intrigued by. What, uh, what has jumped out over the first, you know, first four games or whatever it is of the, the second round of the NHL playoffs to you? Or do you want to pick a series and we'll go from there? No, I mean, we could just re go like a quick, we'll do our whip around on the series right now if you want. I mean, you look at the St. Louis Blues and the Colorado Avalanche, and I I liken it to the New York Rangers-Carolina series in game one, at least. Both game ones are pretty similar in that, you know, St. Louis played a really strong first period and stymied the Colorado Avalanche throughout mm -hmm. the first period. Colorado came back in the second. And then you look at the Rangers and Carolina game last night. The Rangers stymied Carolina for two periods, and then Carolina finally woke up in the third period. And you're talking about two teams in the Avalanche and the Hurricanes that are clear in a way, I would say, the favorites in those series. I would agree. Um, to run the table. And you look at the two opposing teams, the underdogs and the Rangers and the Blues, who stymied them for a little bit. The puzzle, like the puzzle pieces are there. It can be done to shut down the offenses of those two teams. But it's about closing out those games. St. Louis, to lose in the way that they did, to have that lead, to stymie, you know, Colorado in the first period, to have Colorado come back, to then score a goal of your own Jordan Cairo, who deked the heck out of two avalanche defenders, which is incredible. I've never seen like a double toe drag before. Did just that, scores the goal, ties the game. And then to lose that fashion on the road and in in Colorado is just demoralizing. And it's the same for the New York Rangers in in uh, Carolina. To play as well as you do against the top team that you know you have your work cut out for you and probably the favorite in the series, to then lose it in that crushing faction, uh, fashion, it's tough. And they have leaders in both the St. Louis locker room who have been there before and have won a Stanley Cup. New York, maybe not so much. They don't really have guys right now. Barclay Goodrow, the Stanley Cup winner on that roster, is still out with an ankle injury. But... It's tough to come back, and I'm really interested to see how those two teams rebound in St. Louis and New York. St. Louis tonight in Colorado, New York tomorrow night in Carolina. How do you rebound for playing, you know, because in the playoffs, you need to play complete games. You need to play 60 minutes. Both teams played a flawless 20 and 40 minutes between St. Louis and New York. Can they refine that pathway to winning a game and do it for that complete 60 minutes? And that's what I'm really interested in seeing. If you're New York... I don't think you can go into a game thinking if we score one goal, we can trap the third period and be comfortable with that, especially against a Carolina team. I think you, you have to, you know, that's that's just not their style of, of play or hasn't seemed to be their style of play anyway. Yeah, and they did. And it was really frustrating for some Ranger fans that I saw online, you know, and, <laughs> and just the self-assessment of just watching that game from kind of a neutral background. They played really strong. They held they held the Carolina team, who I thought was going to kill them. And I still, you know, going into the series, I had Carolina potentially five or six games, but most likely six. Maybe they, you know, the Rangers just don't have anything left in losing five. But I had Carolina overall because they're a team that possesses the puck and just holds on to the hockey puck for so damn long that it tires the other teams out. And the Rangers don't have guys on there that can eat and possess like the Carolina Hurricanes do. They struggled against Pittsburgh, who is a possession team to some degree. So... The fact that they held them to 14 shots through two periods, 
was really um, encouraging if you're a Ranger fan to see what they can do against a possession team like Carolina. And then in the third period, they resorted to that Gerard Gallant 1-4-4 check where they basically had one guy chasing after the puck and then had four guys on that wall on their own blue line. It's the beer, league, the beer league four check. The beer league four check. And unfortunately, when you give a team like Carolina an 150-foot head start and only let, and only defend in your you know, 50 feet of the defensive zone, they're eventually going to possess the puck and wear you down and do what they do. The Rangers did a great job of preventing that in the first two, and then they just allowed it to happen in the third period. I don't know if they were tired. They played a game seven you know, in overtime against Pittsburgh a couple nights prior. They did get two nights off and rest, but like they just dumped, they got over the red line, they threw the puck in, they allowed Carolina to come back at least to their blue line before, you know, putting pressure on them. And when you lose, you know, 125, 150 feet of the ice rink at that point, it's hard to defend, it's hard to hold on. They held on for as long as they could, and then Carolina ties the game with, you know, a minute 50 left. And then in overtime, you. <laughs> Calling all defensemen out there, and I had a conversation with someone last night about this, watching that goal <laughs> go in. It was tipped by Ryan Lindgren into the net. If you're a defenseman, and a lot of goalies out there who listen to this podcast are going to love me saying this. Oh, boy. If, if you're a defenseman, and you're going to stand in front of the goaltender for a shot, you better damn well block that fucking shot. You better not do an old way and then throw your body out of the way at the last second. If you're going to stand in front of your goaltender, you block the shot, you block the pass, you get your body on it. Otherwise, you're a waste of space. Get the hell out of the way. You're right. And Lindgren stood there in front of Shesterkin, screened him, and then did one of these little passing olays to try to block the puck and got a piece of it off his stick and it went in because Shesterkin on that play was not in bad position to make the save. It was deflected as perfect as a, you know, deflection on the power play, right? As an offensive would, offenseman would, you know, deflect a puck on a power play on the shot from a point. Mm -hmm. So that's all on Lindgren and... That's why they lost the game. And unfortunately, in the playoffs, you need those bounces to go your way. Bounces are everything in the playoffs. It, it, one thing I wanted to point out is the uh, the anti-Ranta revenge tour. What do you see out of him that uh, maybe hasn't he, I know he's bounced around so much. Is, is it sort of the, the effect of the team in front of him? Or does he look like a different goalie to you? No, he's playing solid and he's benefiting from what I just mentioned, a team that possesses the puck for so long, right? Like when you, the Rangers came out hot and they outshot Carolina throughout the game. So he really played well last night. And I'm not going to take anything away from him, excuse me. But overall, when you have a team that possesses the puck with the uh, frequency that Carolina does, the emphasis for you to make 40, 50 saves a night, like a Shesterk and his counterpart is not there. And he's able to thrive in that system because Antti Ranta is a good goaltender. We saw it when he backed up, you know, Kenrick Lundqvist with the New York Rangers, mm -hmm. a team that blocked a shit ton of pucks with Dan Girardi and Ryan McDonough there when he was in net. They blocked shots. They didn't let pucks go to the net half the time. And he thrived in New York. And that's why he's a starting goaltender in the league, large in part to how he performed as a backup in New York. So I don't, I think it's a combination of him being good and I don't want to take anything away from him, but also the type of hockey that Carolina plays and the fact that he's allowed to be shielded a little bit. Carolina has a thing too um, with their roster where it's just a lot of guys that aren't going to blow you away name wise, like maybe a Tivu Teravainen or a Jordan Martinuk. But man, are those two fun to watch. Absolutely. And they, like they, like you said, possession, possession, possession. Like they have Aho, they have Sveshnikov and Kotkaniemi, all great players in their own right. But it's the Tubu, Teravinans, Nito Niederreiter, and uh, Vinny Trocek. Trocek. Yeah, yep. Vinny Trocek. What, like, that's a fun, 
a fun roster that I think was created in a way that a lot of teams are going to emulate because their their most expensive forward is Sebastian Ajo at eight four. Their most expensive defenseman is Jacob Slavin at five three. Nobody's breaking the bank on that team. Two goalies making two and, and four and a half mil. They have Jake Gardner and LTIR like making four. Nobody is blowing that salary cap up like Toronto does. One, two, three. Three guys making eleven mil. Carolina's doing it differently. And, and well, that's that's also in large part to Tom Dundon, the owner there, being a cheap asshole. So, you know, he <laughs> wouldn't pay anybody anyway. So I'm not surprised to see that nobody's making money on that team because he wouldn't pay fucking Alex Nadelkovic. Um, Very he's so true. Damn, he's so damn cheap. So, and he barely wanted to play, uh, pay Ron Brendamore, Rob Brendamore behind the bench. So, you know, <laughs> not surprised <laughs> to know that nobody's getting paid on their roster because he probably wouldn't pay him anyway. Um, but that, to your point, it's a really well constructed roster. Kudos to Waddle and, you know, Rod Brendamore for putting on a product that's really solid in Carolina and a team that, like you said, and like I said, can drive possession because the new wave, the new age of hockey is not dump and chase. It is possess the puck and have guys that are skilled enough to go around you and to get to the net. And Carolina does it extremely effective, extremely well. And that's why they won the Met. And that's why they're the favorite in the series. And I still think yeah. they're going to win in six games. The old uh, the old Soviet style of play. Correct. Take the puck. If, if it's not there, forwards go backwards with it. You don't have yep. to dump it in every time. Uh, this is purely anecdotal. And I want your gut reaction. Is this... The most important playoffs in recent memory for penalties and power plays that stem from them. Yes. It feels like every penalty is crucial and power plays are clicking. Goals are being scored regularly on power plays at a clip that I don't even know if this is backed up by data. I'm just going purely off gut and anecdotal evidence here. It feels like penalties are important so you say you agree absolutely you look at what happened in the uh the colorado st louis game the other night that high sticking call on Braden shed mm-hmm. where he smashed the penalty box camera i agreed with him what a crap call that was the puck was low the avalanche defenseman i forgot who it was it might have been josh manson bent down to play the puck off the ice kind of like a scrum against the boards I don't think Brayton Shen's stick eclipsed his, his kneecap, but it hit him in the face because the play was down low and they called the high stick. Really bad call, but it was crucial to Colorado maintaining the momentum and the possession. They finished out the third period on the power play, and then they had 41 seconds of the power play into overtime. They outshot the St. Louis Blues in overtime 13-0, to zero, and mm-hmm. large part was that 41 seconds where they held the puck for all 41 and got shots to the net. So... To your, you know, I agree with you completely. Penalties are extremely crucial in the playoffs. We've seen it. We saw it in Rangers Pens Game 7. We saw it in Game 6 between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Extremely, extremely crucial to stay out of the box and have the man up. Yeah, and and that's like, we're not, that's not groundbreaking. No. It it just feels different. It feels like timing-wise this year. And every time a high stick goes, players are biting their lip, trying to get a little blood out of it, like... For, you know, there's there's going to be a, in the next week, I guarantee you, there's a four-minute power play that changes the tide of a series. Absolutely. Not just a game. So keep an eye, when you when you see those calls tonight and across the league, just be like, you know what? It, it, something about this year feels 
larger with the penalties. And I think that's probably a, a, a nod to the scoring overall and the skill level of these players and the number of shots and, and whatnot. But that's, that's just sort of a Brett aside there. Um, if I told you last night that 15 goals were going to be scored in game one of a certain playoff series, would you have believed me? If they all went in on Mike Smith, I would have believed you. <laughs> Calgary beats Edmonton in game one, nine to six. An entertaining yeah. game uh, by every measure. What stood out to you about that game one? <laughs> so from when we recorded last Friday and I had mentioned on the show and you thought I was crazy, Mike Smith kind of being the guy that stole the series for Edmonton because he played really, I mean, he's third in the league in the playoffs in saves above expected. Yeah. You know, out of any goaltender next to Ottinger and I forgot who the other guy, what might've been Vazzy, um, Vazzy Ottinger and then Mike Smith or Ottinger, Vazzy and Mike Smith. So he played really well in the, you know, the Edmonton LA series. He struggled historically on the road in Calgary with the Edmonton Oilers. And last night was no, um, no slight to that record. He kept it up. He was pulled early. Koskinen comes in the net. Edmonton starts scoring again. And then the game ends 9-6. It's incredible. It's not sustainable. It was a fantastic game one for the Battle of Alberta. I think that if it... Now, here's the thing. I don't think the series is going to be an arms race. If it is, I think Calgary will win that arms race every time. They're just deeper in scoring. I know Edmonton has the McDavid and Dreisaitl. I think Calgary has deeper scorers throughout the entire lineup in Elias Lindholm, in Johnny Gaudreau, in Kachuk, in um, Tyler Toffoli, who can score a ton of goals. And Mangiapani, I think they're just deeper in terms of scoring than Edmonton. And don't count out Jacob Markstrom from being one of the best tenders in the league. He did let up six last night. He lets up six, but I mean, <laughs> it, it, when you're in a track meet, sometimes you're just you're playing Hold track on. meet, yep. track meet hockey. Yeah. That, by the way, if we uh, if we ever do a cold stove live show with uh, you know NRD with a bag over his head, we might. It's a possibility. I think we need to go to the Saddle Dome in Calgary. Yeah, that'd be fun. That atmosphere is unbelievable. Made all the better by Edmonton being there. And just, you can, you can like, it feels like everyone in Calgary is in that spot. It's, fan, I, it's a fantastic they, environment. All joking aside, everyone in Calgary might be in that spot. <laughs> they so. literally are there. Yeah. Uh, what does Matthew uh, Kachuk make this summer? And, oh, and better yet, is it in Calgary? It's in Calgary, but he's going to make over 10 mil. I think so, too. I think he's going double digits. Yeah, he's going to make 10, if not 11. He's deserving of it. I'd give it to him. I love the way that, I love the way both Kachuk brothers play the game. In fact, speaking of the Kachuk brothers, did you see the picture of Brady? So Brady's been at the games. He's been going. Oh, yeah. He's, he's rocking like merch. He's doing T-shirts now. Did you I'm, see him walking up the aisle? Somebody took a video in the, uh, in the crowd there last oh, night. Oh, I don't think so. Dome. He had a tall boy in his hand, and he had two tall boys in his back pockets of his jeans. He's just a guy that likes beers. Brady he crushes beers. beers. He, he crushes beers, beers at hockey games. I love it. I love the Kachuk family. I love uh, Keith not throwing his hat. Did you see that too? Keith refused mm-hmm. to throw his hat because um, it was his favorite hat. So why would he throw his hat for his son's no. first playoff hat trick? <laughs> Never want to throw your favorite hat because you're not seeing that one again. Um, no, it's good luck too. It's his good luck hat now, so he's got to keep that thing. I love the Kachuk family. I love Brady. I love the way he plays the game. I love Matt the way he plays the game. Well deserving of more than $10 million in my book. Uh, on that same note, does Johnny, excuse me, I was going to say Johnny Judro, does Johnny Judro get double digits? And again, is it in Calgary? 
He doesn't get double digits in Calgary. If he stays in Calgary, it's going to come in around eight and a half, nine, mm-hmm. in my opinion. If he leaves Calgary and uh, Comcast and Philly wants to give him the bag to come home, yeah, I then he gets above say, 10 mil. Now, that that's a, a common trope, right? Like when Austin Matthews' his contract is up, he's going to want to go to Arizona. No, he's not. When, when Johnny Goudreau's up, he's going to want to go to Philly or New Jersey. Like, is is that backed up by anything other than like this nostalgia that everybody wants to go home at some point, or is that documented that Johnny Goudreau is, you know, a lifelong Flyers fan or lifelong Devils fan or something like that? Like, it, it, what do you where do you fall on on that argument that gets tossed around a lot? For the most part, it's a crock of crap. It's backed up by Pajama Boy John Tavares. I was going to say Toronto. the one glaring example is is John Tavares. Uh, on Christmas morning in his Toronto Maple Leafs PJs, but right, like everybody, and I hate to keep piling it on him and piling it on him, so I apologize. But Toronto fans are the biggest offenders of that. Like everybody wants to come home and play for the Leafs, right? Like everybody born in the province of Ontario <laughs> wants to come home and play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's not even about the Senators at this point. It's about the Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leafs. There's pride from being from Ontario and playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So whenever Stamkos's contract, remember when Stamkos was about to be oh, a free yeah. agent, he was going to the Leafs. And John Tavares actually went to the Leafs. And, you know, a couple other guys down the line, I, you can name anybody. So I really uh, no Pierre point. Pierre-Luc Dubois name. going to Montreal. And, yeah, I think there's uh, pride Sam, in there Sam Reinhart's going to Vancouver. And- but not even as much that, as much as Toronto. So I'm going to blame them. I'm going to blame the Toronto fans. So mm-hmm. there is precedent in Tavares, but for the most part, it's not really there. With Gaudreau, I think the the argument over the years is not necessarily Calgary versus Philly, but Calgary versus playing back at home in the United States, I think is the big thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, then from there, Philly would be a very interested party in bringing him home, and they might have an edge there. But I still think that, and I've been told this, and I've said this on the air, I still think that if Calgary continues to win and maybe they get to a Western Conference final or a Stanley Cup final, I don't think the door is shut for Johnny Gaudreau wanting to move on from Calgary if they can afford him. I think he's really comfortable where he's at. I think he loves the team he's playing with right now. Mm -hmm. And that if they, I think all he wants to do is win genuinely. I think the guy wants to win hockey games. And if they can win hockey games, I could see him staying in Calgary this year. I totally could too. He's got, you know, he's got some muscle to back him up if he needs it. He's obviously not a big guy. So he plays with all the confidence in the world. He's got a guy like Kachuk to be sort of the the lights, camera, action guy to Goudreau's more silky, understated way of, of playing the game, but still producing at an un, unheard of clip, right? And he has the uh, defenseman. He is the goalie. Like, Calgary could turn this thing, you know, if they financially do it correctly, there's no reason – Every other year, we're not talking about Calgary in the Stanley Cup Finals, other than there's so many good teams in the West. Mm-hmm. So if Goudreau stays and they want to turn this thing into a bit of a, you know, his legacy in Calgary or a, a dynasty, if you want to throw that word around, there is any as much of a candidate as anybody to do that. Um, anything else on the current playoff series before we wrap this thing up? A little bit of a shorter, uh, 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 tidy episode today. Which is not a bad thing. We'll be back. I know that it's been, you know, a little crazy time of the year for everybody involved between the IRs and the suspensions for Brett and myself and then injured oh, yeah. reserve and whatnot. But uh, 
I'm happy with what we discussed today. I have nothing really to add on the playoff series. I would say this, though. Seriously keep an eye on Philly and Jim Montgomery. From what I okay. I think we will have to double down on that one at some point. Two things on my end before we get out of here, NRD. All right. Tonight, in, Tonight. Lovely, in lovely Utica, New York, Amherst, Utica Devils, we need you on the bandwagon as 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 ride or die as you ever have been, NRD. Big game tonight. I'm a massive Rochester Americans fan. Best jerseys massive. in sports, in my opinion. Best jerseys in sports. I don't know about that. You know what the best jerseys in sports are? Uh, the Arizona Coyotes Kachina jerseys. I was going to go... I, I'm such a nostalgic fiend. Um, the Mighty Ducks jerseys are fantastic. Okay. You know what? They're they're up in the upper echelon. They don't get near the top ten for me. Ooh, wow. Some some jerseys that I I like, like when BU goes classic, just Boston across the chest with the. All red right, so we're going white. all sports. Oh, right? sports referring to professional. Sports. No, okay. absolutely. You can you can dive into European or Indian cricket if you'd like to. If somebody's got a badass kit, as they say. So then, give me. Um, Whatever the fuck the goalies would wear during like the '94 World Cup of soccer, you know, like oh, crazy wow. ass patterns. Yeah, and yeah, shit. Like, yeah. That's great. Like bring back, bring back the '90s aesthetic of sports. Oh, see, I am so out on '90s aesthetic. I'm of in on '80s aesthetic of sports, like classic Miracle on Ice jersey. I want more cream. I want more off white. I don't want powder, like, chalk white jerseys. Oh, I want, like, Zubaz pants and zebra pants oh, to come back. no, no. You, so you like, you like that Oregon does a hundred different jerseys. No, to, so to me, I hate the Oregon Ducks and everything they do with the <laughs> uniforms. There's, there's, a, there's a line, and they're habitual line steppers of how many uniforms you can wear in a year. I see. Um, every, new one every game. Yeah, and that's ridiculous to me. But there are some good ones. I'll, yeah. I will concede, hands down, you talk about Miracle on Ice. You talk about when a team goes to simple Boston across the crest or whatnot. There's charm, and there is history behind that. Like the New York Yankees uniform. It hasn't changed in damn 80 years, 90 years. And there's absolute value and class and charm to that. The Buffalo Sabres winter classic jersey, or, or I guess the Heritage classic jersey. They Correct. played against the Maple Leafs this year. You own one of them. I own. I own. I had to buy it. It was that good. It was that freaking good that I had to buy the jersey. I don't know what to do with it yet because I don't really have any room. Or excuse, I, I guess I don't have a, a room where it, it would fit in in my house right now because I don't have like an office or a, a man cave. So I'd have to put it up like in my bedroom, which just kind of feels like it doesn't fit the aesthetic. I'll put it that way, the rest of the room. Um so maybe I'll have to convince the guys here at Washed Media HQ to let me put a Sabres jersey up in the rafters. Um, and then NRD, last thing. Two NRD bets. Okay. Things I need from you. Your Stanley Cup and your PGA Championship. Have you sprinkled on anybody this weekend? I, am, uh, I haven't sprinkled anybody yet to win the PGA Championship. So unlike you like the to Masters, see that first round. You have to see I, who's striking the ball well. So like I was on Scotty Scheffler well before the Masters and won. Okay. Won a handsome amount of money, might I add. Well um, done. Yeah, kudos to me. I'm going to see the first round. I'm on a couple of three-ball matchups today. 
Um, they've already teed off, mm. so there's no point okay. in me, you know, disclosing who I'm on. I'll text you that uh, on okay. the side. There we go. Um, but I was on Rory to lead after the first round today. Ooh. So I'm That's sitting quite pretty pick. right now. Um, I am a big fan of Rory McIlroy's. I think that now is the time for him to win a tournament. We will see who I go with for the PGA. I'm not ready to give that pick yet for the PGA Championship. I will. I'll say Rory runs away with this thing. Like Rory might win this by eight. He his first round is traditionally the worst round, as we all know, and he just he went out sixty five. Like he could. He has the walk, you know, that bouncy Rory McIlroy, like, cock yeah, of the walk. that walk. He's got it already on day one. And it's only, and then cold front comes through on, uh, I believe it's Friday night. He knows how to play in some, some windy, cooler conditions. He's built for that. That's going to wipe out guys that play in Florida 24-7, even though he lives there. I think Rory might win this by, by 10. I don't hate the pick. I don't hate, maybe... Maybe I'll get on the Rory train. Like I said, I have to I have to get through round one today before I make that official decision. And yes, I know the odds are going to be pretty shitty for me to hop on Rory if he's winning after the first round, if he's leading after the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I just have to commit to the process. I have to trust the process and see through the first round first before I make a pick. Trust the process with NRD. Trust the process with Cold Stove Pod on Twitter uh, and Instagram too. We'll get that going at some point. I think so. I think it's about due time we get the Instagram popping. He is NRD at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. He's not going anywhere. I am Brett Merriman at Schmerriman on both Twitter and Instagram if you want to find me there. We are Cold Stove Pod at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. See Enjoy ya. the playoffs.